Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Phyllis Capanna, who is a dear friend of mine for decades. I met her when she was a singer-songwriter, which I guess she still is. But since then, she's become a therapist, and she's even launched her own line of I don't know how to put it. You'd have to go to possibilityprintables.com where you can see that she has all kinds of materials that people can use, that they can print at home, they can use for therapeutic purposes and books and things. And I, you know what? I'm going to let her describe it. And of course, you can go to possibilityprintables.com to check it out. Um, I want you to subscribe to this show already. Subscribe, review it. Write to me at isthatreallylegal.com. Go to the website. You can leave me comments. And also grab some Abe's muffins in both hands and shove them in your mouth. Abe's muffins are allergen-free. They taste amazing. They come in all kinds of flavors like blueberry, chocolate chip, a lemon poppy seed. Have you tried the brownies? I talk about them because I'm obsessed. They're amazing. Phyllis now lives in Maine. Uh, when I met her, she lived in Boston, but she's a Jersey girl. Uh, can I say girl? Uh, well, I just did. And she and I talk about music, songwriting, sexuality, addiction, comedy. She has a little bit of a potty mouth, so prepare yourself. Here's Phyllis Capata. Phyllis Capano, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Hey, Eric. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to uh, see you. You and I haven't spoken in, it's got to be years. Maybe we were at a friend's funeral. Were you at Bill's or, yeah. or memorial service? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And just so people know who that is, we both had a dear friend, Bill Kuhlman, who besides just being one of the sweetest people on the planet, was a gifted yeah. singer, bass player, and we were both in different groups with him. Mm -hmm. I think, where you was the, um, what was the name of the band that you guys were in a bird name? Purple Martin. Thank you. <laughs> Purple which, Martin. Which for, which for five seconds was whistling ducks. I just have to put that in because birds, I don't know, we were stuck on birds for some reason. I, I by the way, I never heard of a purple martin before or since. But at that time, I was told it was a bird. <laughs> they are. I, I've actually heard people mention them without any knowledge of my history with the words purple martin. So I know they're a thing. <laughs> Got it. I recorded a song a long time ago with a sort of fake group called Three Hour Tour uh, that was really um, the loose ties in disguise. Mm -hmm. um so uh and this isn't going to be all about bill but our dear friend bill <laughs> coleman um god rest his soul i died yeah. way too young uh lovely man and we were he was a great bass player great singer a great dad a great friend and he was one of the members of serious fun which was a professional acapella group that i was in i want to say before acapella was cool i'm not sure acapella has ever really been cool it's yeah. sort of been put in, there's the movies that were done with Anna Kendrick about acapella that for a hot minute made it seem kind of cool. 
but we didn't care. We had a lot of fun. Anyway, Phyllis, I met you when I was living in the Boston area. And I think you were too, mm-hmm. but we're, we're both from down away. I talking to you from Brooklyn and I'm originally from Long Island. You're from Jersey, right? I'm from Jersey, man. I'm from South Jersey, the other New Jersey. <laughs> what, what town or township? Uh, I grew up in two towns that were next to each other, Pensacon and Merchantville, right outside of Camden. The Pensacon Mart is the oh, place I've been. God, yes. <laughs> what a low life joint that was. <laughs> <laughs> So I lived in Philly for eight years, and one of the experiences I had was I was a ballroom dancer. Um, I swear we're going to get to you, Phyllis. Uh, It's okay. It's good. It's all part of the thing. (laughs) There was a dance hall, I want to say, in the Pensacon Mart, uh, where they had dance events. That was a very (laughs) big dance hall with a great floor. And I lived in Philly. So Pensacon was like a half hour, 45 minute drive. You go over to Delaware and you're in Jersey. And yeah, not far from beautiful. And I say that sarcastically, Camden, <laughs> which is, um, I don't know what Camden's up to now. Uh, what I remember about Camden was Campbell Soup, um, the Rutgers Law School, and a ridiculous crime rate. Those were the big three things about Camden. Uh, I see you're not rushing to Camden's defense. Well, (laughs) I have very mixed feelings about Camden because my my mother actually grew up in Camden during what you could call like the golden age of of Camden when it was mostly uh, immigrant families. She grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, like the only Italian family in a Jewish neighborhood. Her dad was a tailor. Um, and to hear her talk about the Parkside neighborhood of Camden, it's clearly from another, you know, another world. Um, it was a so paradise. It was a paradise. It, to it, her <laughs> it was. I mean, she they, she walked. She took the bus to Philly um, all the time. Came home in the dark. Her dog met her at the bus stop. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, like, and um, like a suburban little city. Um, but yeah, but then my dad taught at Camden High School during the height of the like turn toward crime and terrible and poverty and just terribleness. And um, yeah, so Camden was a place we have we did not go to <laughs> when well, I was in that neck of the woods. It's funny. Uh, my folks grew up in the Bronx and it's the same kind of thing. The way they talk about the Bronx is so alien to me. I do have friends yeah. who live in the Bronx. And I, we belong to the uh, Botanical Gardens in the Bronx, but it's not like, no one ever says, oh, you know what would be fun to do today? Let's just go to the Bronx. That's not, <laughs> that's not a thing that happens. It's so funny because there's an aquarium now in, in Camden that everybody goes to. But yeah. also just I have to note that I think Camden um, is actually at the forefront of police reform right now. Oh, well, that's good information. Yeah, and it has yeah. been for a while. They they've really pioneered because they had to, or they were going to all die. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, everybody. It just was a shit show. Ops, criminals, everybody. You know, <laughs> yeah, everybody just dead. <laughs> if anybody yeah, has, they, oh yeah, no, well, they're that they're at the forefront of police reform. So that that's worth noting. I think they're a, something that is good happening there now. Now, you grew up, obviously, there. 
when I met you, even though you were living in Boston, you had relatives where I grew up in Massapequa, like literally a block from where I grew up, I think, or a good friend. Yes, I can't remember my, what it was. my first husband, talk about hot minutes. That's how long that marriage lasts. <laughs> and, and I have to say, in case, you know, he ever hears this podcast, it has nothing to do, the, 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 the brevity of it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a quality human being. Very good, very good people. But yeah, he grew up in Massapequa Park. And so, yeah, my in-laws were, um, lived there. Um, I and never then met after him. That, no, I don't think so. But he was right in the, it's funny because he was in an adjacent music scene. He was in the folk music scene in, in the Boston, Cambridge area. But he had one foot in um, his other, his day gig was a computer programmer. So he was, did a lot of tech stuff. So you guys, yeah, you never, you did not travel in the same circles. Now, where did you end up going to school? I mean, college. Well, that's how I got to Boston is I went to BU for um, a short time, like an, uh, a, a year and a semester or something. And then when I went back to school, I went to Tufts and that's where I finished. And then Leslie in Cambridge for my master's. You know, what's interesting is people, when you say mm -hmm. Boston, one of the things people think of is big college town. Mm -hmm. um, but some people don't realize Tufts is in Medford just mm -hmm. north of Boston mm -hmm. and a top-notch school. I'm hearing a little reverb. We'll just deal with that. I don't know if um, uh, you, you can hear me okay. Um, I hear I'll you fine. I, okay, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not having an issue. Uh, I've only been to Tufts to sing uh, and it was a lovely campus. Um, and I also did some stand-up comedy in Revere but that's north of there. And we don't want mm. to talk about that either. Doing, <laughs> doing stand-up comedy at a place called the Crab, either the Clam Shack, I think it was the Clam Shack, where the stage was right next to the uh, place where the chefs, I call them chefs, that's funny. The cooks. <laughs> the cooks. Would yell out about that the smelts were ready for table four. <laughs> People have no oh, idea. I had gigs, I had gigs like that. <laughs> I wasn't doing stand-up. I had a guitar strapped around my neck and I was in, I'll never forget the dart tournament <laughs> at something in uh, probably the North shore of Boston, not the South shore, but you know, this really nice, oh, you played at the Blackthorn Tavern? How great. Nope, there was a dark tournament going on that night. And so en masse, the entire room stands up and turns the other way <laughs> to look at the, <laughs> whatever the hell's going on in the other room. Yeah, it's great playing bars. Not, <laughs> not, not, not one of my favorite things at all. <laughs> so, so we're now getting to how I really got to meet you, which is, <laughs> I think you, well, you certainly were playing, uh, you were a folk musician or singer songwriter. Um, and I fell in love with your work and I'm not just shining you up because we're friends. I specifically remember a song that I actually am going to ask you for the chords and lyrics to send to me because I'd like to do it. I've never heard a recording of it. You might have a recording of it, but I, I will get to that in a second. You okay. were, again, for a hot minute, dating another friend of mine. We yep. won't go into all the names. <laughs> um, you know, we were a little like Fleetwood Mac. We were all dating each other's <laughs> friends at one point. And it's like, but what was great about it was like, I, in, generally there were not hard feelings at least that's what i felt i could be wrong people usually ended up 
on their feet with somebody else or just were like, you know what? It was, it was just not a good fit. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, it's possible some people did other people wrong. And this is like 30 years ago, the statute of limitations is run. I'd like to think. <laughs> uh, more like 25 years, but uh, everybody's forgiven or at least forgotten. Uh, and we're probably all... forgotten first. <laughs> well, yeah, my, I come from a people we don't forgive so much. <laughs> and your people are supposed to forgive, but I've noticed there's not a lot of that either. <laughs> so, no, we guilt. We guilt. That's a big thing that Jews and Italians have in common. Yeah. yeah. Look, you just do it with better food. Um, but, exactly. <laughs> Um, so when I met you, either I was doing stand-up introducing folk acts or my acapella group was introducing folk acts or you, whatever it was. I remember specifically a song you did called Moving Day, mm. which I love because it is a, I mean, it's a sad song, but it's not incredibly sad, but it's there's a simple quality to it. And this is one thing that people don't understand how hard it is to write a simple song that's evocative and paints a real picture because sometimes it'll sound like, what the hell was that song about? I don't, you know, there's like five repeating words or it's a very sparsely lyric song or there's a metaphor that nobody understands. But that song I really felt was a work of art because I saw it. I feel like I lived it. And for people who know what I'm talking about, the song's called Moving Day. And it's about, if my memory is, it's about a relationship that doesn't work out. And you basically have to take all your crap, put it in a box and leave. But it's (laughs) not just your crap. It's your feelings and your hopes and your aspirations. And um, I feel like there was a lot in that song. And what I loved about it is when you played the production, if you will, is a guitar and a Jersey girl. And that's it. And, you know, very, when I was younger, and I think we're about the same age, I remember Janice Ian's at 17 playing mm. constantly on the radio and having no idea what she was talking about because I was too young to get the song. Yeah. Years later, years later, I understood the song. Mm. And, um, I'm not saying this is the same song, but there's a certain quality about it that reminds me of that. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm all in on the Phyllis Capanna fan, (laughs) whatever. And um, do you want to talk about writing that song in particular or songwriting in general? Because honestly, I feel like you could teach songwriting. But by the way, as I say that, it's a lot like comedy also in that you can't really teach songwriting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like it's, but you can talk about it. You can immerse yourself in that world. So uh, mm-hmm. why don't you talk about that process at least? Yeah, sure. I I mean, so one of the things I think is really true about life, especially the creative life is that <clears throat> all roads lead to, you know, so the personal becomes the, the universal and uh, that's what's beautiful about comedy, right? Is that, you know, you take material from your own life and all of a sudden everybody's gets it. Everybody's laughing at it. Everybody sees it, right? Yeah. And so who hasn't been through a breakup like that where it's like, fuck, what do we... 
shit, like I don't even have four walls anymore. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, you can either, so yeah, when you mentioned Janice Ian, I mean, I, I've been trying to think about, because one of those questions that makes my mind go blank is what are your influences, you know, as a musician or as a writer? And, but I now remember that um, those sort of confessional uh, singers and also confessional poets mm. um, were really the ones that taught me that ha honing your own voice is probably the strongest thing you can do. And that carries over not only into art and songwriting and that kind of expression, but also how you live your life, how you treat other people, um, what you, you know, what you believe, what you, you choose to be. Being a congruent, it's a weird phrase, but being a congruent person. In other words, you and yeah. I, I'd like to think, are the same together, apart, in the world. I've gotten the compliment that people are like, oh my God, you're who you, you're always the same person in every situation. You don't put yeah. on a act. And that, some people think it could be detrimental, but I'm here to tell you, I think it's actually refreshing. People appreciate it and makes life so much easier. Yeah. Well, like, you know, who, all you have is who you are. So you might as well hone it. You might as well own it and hone, you know, like really be strong in that because that is your calling card. You know, that's your strength. Yeah. I, you know, I, I work a lot with people in recovery, which we can get into if you want to. I'd love to. Um, but, but I, I, you know, I just tell people, you know, people are like, oh, my life is so fucked up. I don't know what I'm doing. I made this mistake. I, this relationship, you know, blah, I don't have any money, whatever. And it's like, you know what? Your truth right now, that's your power. It's the only fucking thing you have. It's the only thing you have. It's the only thing that no one ever can take away from you. So own it. That's your power right now. And it's it's a hard thing because we're so taught to, and here we circle back to creativity, we're so taught to like, is it for someone else? Is everyone else going to like it? Is it the trendy thing? Is oh, it what I people love, are doing now? I love you bringing that up because, you know, I used to be a literary agent and I am, <clears throat> I do showbiz law stuff now, uh, entertainment law things out of my office in New York. Um, or my living room now because I'm going <laughs> to the your office. living room office. <laughs> this <laughs> is Brooklyn. my office. You like it? You like <laughs> my throw? Lovely. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and my old fashioned wallpapers. This is it. It's very main. Uh, I assume you're a main. Um, I am. But, but what I, you know, in comedy especially, you can't write the jokes that you think will make people laugh because you right. never know. Um, you can only write what you find funny throw it out there and hope to find your audience. Yeah. Same with writing. You know, I used to represent a lot of novelists and they'd be like, oh, what's selling now? It's like, I have, first of all, by the time the book comes out, that would be changing because your book you're writing now is coming out a year from now, maybe. And so, you know, vampires are hot now, but Scotsman will be hot tomorrow. Or like, just as an example. <laughs> And who cares? Like, if your book is good and people like it, that will be hot. You can't yeah. write to the market. That's the expression. You can't write to the market. And yeah. I love that you're saying that too. You couldn't write. First of all, I can't imagine you writing a song saying, all right, I'm going to write the top 40 hit. 
you know, like I don't, I don't think uh, shows how old I am. I was about to say Madonna. Uh, I don't know. I don't think Gaga <laughs> or who's. I don't think a K-pop group. If that's a big thing. Oh my God! Just as an aside, I was watching a late night show. <laughs> there was a K-pop group of young men from Korea, and there were like twenty men. Men. They were all eighteen. There were twenty boys, men, whatever, in this group, and they all looked. They were so androgynous, mm. and I was like, I, I. It made me feel attracted and confused. And I feel that way a lot anyway. But um, some had silver hair. Just another thing we have in common, Eric. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you know, that's also, if we get to it, we can talk about our evolution about relationships, which I think is yeah. really amazing uh, yeah. that we share because, yeah. you know, you're told, and screw it, you've listened enough to my podcast to know that it goes everywhere and nowhere. Um the fact that you grow up and think, okay, well, I do find myself attracted to this type of person, this gender, what have you. So I'm probably going to be that way all the time. And then one day you wake up and go, I am not sure I am who I thought I was. And then you can decide whether you're going to look at it as an adventure or you're going to be terrified. Um, so I tell this story and I, this may be TMI. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message. <laughs> But I will tell you, my my sponsor, Abe's Muffins, doesn't care. So, oh, by the way, by the way, that's a, yeah. the one thing about being a guest on this podcast. It's it's I gotta figure out a way to get some Abe's muffins because <laughs> my mouth is watering. Like every time you come on with the Abe's muffins, I'm like, give me the muffins. Okay, that's have it. You, I just gotta have you had here. Abe's muffins at all? No. Ah, uh, they're so good. They're uh, they're non-allergenic uh, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, people can go to the website for Abe's Muffins and see the story of it. Um, a friend of mine, I'm outing him. So Marty is a friend of mine. He started this company <laughs> with his brother because of an allergic kid in the family. Mm -hmm. uh, we have lost Phyllis. Phyllis has decided That's because I, I just realized <laughs> incense fell out of the incense holder. I'm like, what's that weird spell? Oh, that's, that's my, my house burning down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going to be cold today anyway. Uh, oh, okay, wow. go ahead. So anyway, that's Age <laughs> Muffins is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so people can check that out. Thank you for appreciating Age Muffins. They're in fine stores everywhere. Uh, but cool. when I was, um, I had a realization and I ended up after my second marriage was over, I was dating lots of different people, men and women. And um, what was interesting is when I was younger, I realized that there were things I liked, but I kind of pushed away uh, in personal life stuff. And in a day before porn was all over the internet, boys and girls, you had to buy these things called magazines. Ask your parents about magazines. They're like the internet on paper. <laughs> Phyllis knows she, she also used to know magazines. They still sometimes come in grandma's mail. Um, but I still get the New Yorker and all the fashion magazines, and that should tell you everything you need to know about me. Uh, the Vogue has my name on it, not my wife's. So, yeah. So, at one point, when the non internet pornography experience is happening, I bought some magazines that were not what we'll call vanilla. I won't go too into what they were, but 
at one point I was feeling like there was something very wrong with me that I liked these particular things. And then I had a realization that was not about spirituality or sexuality. It was a financial economic realization. They would go broke if they were making these magazines just for me. So there was a wider audience for this, a much wider audience. And then I started to feel better about myself. Uh, so anyway, you, so I went through this experience. I actually was just talking to a friend of mine on his podcast. And right before I met my wife, we were very good friends. And we were thinking about dating. Because um, I, I would say I'm pansexual. And people can look that up. It's exhausting. But um, she turned to me and she knew my story. And out of the blue, she turned to me and said, hey, you know what? I don't think labels are very useful, do you? No. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And she has her own story, which I'll let her talk about at some point. She is not, uh, has not had, let's say, a straight line in her life when it comes to relationships. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you, I, here we go. So what about you, folks? Do you want to talk about this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, Cause when I knew you were dating, you were dating guys, you even married, or were you married Twice. to, to Twice. the very big guy whose name I can't remember? He's like a mountain-sized yeah, well, man. Uh, James, and that's who yeah. the, um, so the album, Purple Martin's one album, which is a fabulous album, uh, is. is called Don't Tell James because of it's a reference to, um, he was a purist when it came to um, music and he didn't want us to, he didn't want anybody to do any overdubbing or correcting anything digitally in the recording process. He thought that would sully the integrity of the, of the product. And, but we did that of course, because we had all the tools and we had Brian's, you know, Brian was, is a, like a kind of a wizard in the recording studio. We recorded it all in his night kitchen basement studio in Dorchester. Brian's last name is? Brian Middleton. Thank you. I've forgotten. I've, I've sung with Brian. I've played music with Brian, uh, Brian Middleton and Bryce Buchanan, who yeah. both can work a studio like a deck of cards. And, and are also incredibly gifted musicians in literally every aspect. They can pick up an instrument and play it. They can sing beautifully. <clears throat> they hear things that you don't hear. They arrange things to make them more what you want. Not mm -hmm. they, What I love is they don't take your stuff and make it theirs. They make it more yours. So, I, yeah. Just as an aside, I once told Bryce amazing guitarist like one of the most unsung musicians on the planet i once told him i wanted a, his guitar part on my, one of my songs to sound like um you know if you take watercolor and then you put ink over it <laughs> and he was like okay and he did something and it was Perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for. So he also is multilingual when it comes to like stuff. But anyway, so don't tell James. So we we adulterated, we fixed things in the process of recording, and we caught we had this little meme that we would say when before there was the word meme. We would say, uh, okay, don't tell James we did this, right? So that's what we ended up calling calling the album. But um, so sexuality. <laughs> So yeah, so he was my second husband and that didn't last for very long either. And all of this was tied up in my my own journey, of course, of, of um, 
so when I first met you, I was with someone else, another songwriter. It's kind of like this thing I'm powerless over. And um, I was also in the throes of addiction. I don't know if you if you knew that, um, but I knew. I, what's funny is that when I heard it, I didn't believe it because, and if I may, my understanding was you were addicted to marijuana. And I, as a occasional marijuana user at that time and previously, um, thought, well, how can you get addicted to weed? That just doesn't seem possible. I've since learned, <laughs> oh no, uh, they walk among us, especially here in Brooklyn. And you <laughs> did in fact have an addiction. So yeah, I yeah, knew about it. Yeah. And I think nobody talked about it, but I knew about it. Yeah. Um, but I knew right, about it when you were in recovery. Right. So it was just one of those insidious things that allowed me to fool myself into thinking that I was doing okay for many years um, until I, it really kind of tore me apart emotionally. I became, you know, just um, dysfunctional. And um, that was during the time that I was with James. And, and it wasn't just that there were things going on in the relationship that were, that were not okay with me. And I didn't know how to deal with them because, Hey, I had no skills. So at a certain point in my life, I threw, I threw up my hands and said, okay, this relationship thing, I, I really suck at this and I don't have a clue. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I just kind of like threw it, threw it op open and said to my higher power, listen, you know this already. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm giving it to you. Like you just take it. I don't, I don't care. I don't care if I'm never with another person again. I, I just never want to be this miserable again. And I just want to be true to myself, whatever that is. Classic first step, baby. Admitting Classic you first step, baby. And what happened was I ended up coming out to myself. I ended up spending, I ended up spending a, a period of time, maybe a year, completely celibate and completely unattached and i ended up falling in love with this woman that i live with now who by the way has her own journey blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't and, they all don't they all they all they, they all fucking do and <laughs> nowadays everybody has to have a journey and everybody has to have pronouns and so she changed her pronouns <laughs> it's a different oh. story it's okay there are they now um okay. and i support that totally because guess what the person that they are hasn't changed except for gotten happier the more they can claim who they really are and that's what happened for me like i had this huge identity crisis at first i was like don't fucking tell me i'm gay i just date guys and then and then i just let that go too and i was like um how about would you like to be happy would you like to feel like you fit in your own skin? Would you like to discover a few things, you know, and just kind of like see what happens? And that's, that's what I did. And, and I, I kind of fell into this, um, first of all, the lesbian community is extremely welcoming and extremely accepting and extremely like affirming. So it was, it was really nice to, to join a group that was like, hey babe you know come on in you know have a cup of tea well but you're then, also a lovely lesbian i mean i don't know if they'd be as welcome <laughs> if you were a jack you know an asshole i will an say asshole lesbian. <laughs> which sounds like a great punk rock band i yeah. will can i tell you a quick lesbian story of my own uh, absolutely 
So I, when I was uh, acting in New York, I had a lot of writer and producer friends who were lesbians. And they sort of, for some reason, they took me under their wing. They enjoyed having me, I guess I, I didn't have as much butch energy. I was easier, whatever. I, you know, I'm kind of, I, I, I sort of discovered who I am. So anyway, so I went out to a night of lesbian bars with them. And if people know Manhattan, you know, we went to a place called the Cubby Hole. These are great names. Lesbians have great names for bars. Um, <laughs> there's another place that has since been closed places. Anyway, and ended up at a last place called Bar and Girl instead of Bar and Grill. Cute. And so we were on the dance floor having fun. And this woman, I don't want to, she's a Mexican-American kind of woman, very tough looking with like a lot of the certain kind of makeup and a look that's very... It's almost over the top kind of Mexican lady gangster look. And she's like, what the F are you doing here? And by the way, she's like five feet tall and I'm scared to death. People who don't know me, I'm 6'3", 230. I can handle myself. This woman was going to kill me. My Texas lesbian friend who's about my height and much tougher than me, like got in front of me. The little Jewish producer lesbian by my other side, they're like, he's with us, he's with us. And it was a very tense few minutes. Uh, so that was an instance where I didn't feel welcomed by the lesbian community. Mm. But I also understand because I was going, you know, in retrospect, I'm going into a place that people want to feel safe to be themselves. And a tall white guy who appears a certain way is exactly not the thing they want in their safe space, mm -hmm. especially at that time. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I interrupted your story. Just well, that's okay. I, enjoyed... I mean, yeah, well, and what you're talking about is actually really, really relevant to what's happening today because today women's communities are dealing with their own, um, their own prejudice against uh, trans women in some cases, you know, are the, you know, what's a woman only space and uh, do you have to have a womb and a pussy in order to be part of the woman only space? Or oh my is goodness, it, I'm goodness. sorry. <laughs> oh, I have the vapors. You said the P word on my show. I've heard it before. Tell me, tell me I'm the first to use it on your podcast. I think you may be, and you'll see how the oh. long line of queer lady men, whatever, but uh you, you brought you broke my pea cherry. Thank you. Okay, uh, baby. Uh, you know it's the only one you're gonna break. <laughs> right? But yeah, but that um but, but so that's it's that's a, a Legitimate, well, the, you know, it's interesting. I'm not saying it. that's a legitimate concern. I'm saying it's a legitimate issue that's happening today. Well, I find it interesting. You know, oddly enough, the Black Lives Matter, the pandemic has been an incredibly educational time for me because I'm curious. So the whole Black Lives Matter thing brought to my attention. Yeah, I knew there were problems, but I had no idea how pervasive they were. Mm -hmm. And rather than turn my head, I spoke to some Black friends. I've educated myself with some documentaries. And I'm like, holy crap, this is ridiculous where we're at. Mm -hmm. So then, yes, I'm a white man. And I have a whole ton of privilege, even though I you know, want to tell you, well, I don't. I mean, I'm a Jew and I have these other things. But I don't have the issues that trans, the trans women 
are dying at a ridiculous rate from crime, especially black trans women. Um, there's a whole turf movement that I don't really want to give a lot of voice to, but it's basically people saying that unless you're born with a woman, woman of a vagina, you're not really a woman. You're just a guy pretending to be a woman. And there's a lot of conversation about that. I am not the guy to talk about it, but I would argue there are great people who can talk about it and they should be sought out so that you can hear what they have to say, because they're not just, these are people who really know what they're talking about, who've got either life experiences of their own, or they've done studies, or, you know, they're people with PhDs at the yin yang. And it's very disappointing. And I can understand why it's disappointing when certain pop culture people like uh, the Harry Potter lady come out mm -hmm. against trans people. And it's heartbreaking for, you know, trans people who grew up loving Harry Potter. Now the person they idolize is telling them they are wrong. They, their feelings don't matter. They don't have a right to exist. They're, it, you know, it's just a strange thing. For me, I have to say, I don't have a particular point of view other than love. My point of view is to let people be who they are as long as they're not hurting anybody. Mm. And I know, I had a client who was a trans woman who actually was a porn star, a very famous porn star trans woman, who if um, she had to use the men's room because technically she was born a man, or I, I don't want to use the wrong, she was a cis man. You know, guys, just trust me, my heart's in the right place if I'm not using all the right terminology. But her to use the men's room would be far more disruptive than her using the woman's room where she absolutely belonged because she's a woman. And if you met her, you would know that, not just you, Phyllis, yeah. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I find, so, I don't know how we got off on this tangent, but clearly your life is impacted by trans rights um, more than some people. Mm -hmm. um, what's that like living, you know, as a, as a Jew watching people wear anti-Semitic shirts as they storm the Capitol, you know, Camp Auschwitz and six million wasn't enough. I mean, I'm heartsick. I'm nauseous when I see these mm. pictures. Mm. So I can only imagine you have similar situations when you hear people who are ranked highly in our society say things that affect people you love and care about. Mm -hmm. And they come from a place of ignorance. I mean, Total ignorance. What, what, do you, what can you share with us to help us understand? It's all on you, Phyllis. It's all on me. <laughs> well, this is your lucky day because I have opinions. Um, <laughs> no, you know, all right. I, uh, here's the thing. So the social media and the internet and all that, they are a blessing and a curse. I mean, because the truth is what I see. It, so my partner actually this is funny she's a she's a mainer who happened to be born in new jersey but she spent all of her she spent all of her summers up here with her grandparents and we live next door to the house that her grandparents lived in oh, this wow. is a house that her, her other grandparents on her other side lived in it was built in god knows when sometime roughly around the time of the civil war and um Anyway, the point is that in this neighbor, in this small town and in this environment, this person that I live with has been coming up and growing up. And it's been clear since she arrived on the planet 
I keep saying she because I'm not used to the new pronouns, um, was not like your standard issue girl. And um, Robin is completely accepted here and for who she is. And some people say, think that, you know, Robin is a guy and say, hey man, how's it going? And some people know Robin as a woman and call her, hey ladies. We always joke about that. <laughs> who looks at us and thinks, hey ladies. But anyway, um, so on a personal level, I think that who again who a person is who you know them to be it's a little easier to wrap your head around oh um hmm, well i thought they were this but they're telling me this and so i'm gonna try to accommodate that or know learn more or you know i'm still gonna be kind i'm still gonna wait on them i'm still gonna take their money god knows um but on a global you know big scale where everybody has a megaphone people turn into kind of assholes especially like politicians who think just because a bunch of people voted for them their opinion matters more or they, they get to be ignorant out loud and so it's kind of like this past year 2020 like everybody swallowed truth serum and all of the <laughs> shit is coming out don't you think i mean like all of a sudden we're finding out just how prejudiced certain segments are we're finding out just how crazy certain segments are like what they really believe they really believe really jewish lasers really <laughs> yeah Pedophile? what blood sucking children eating pet what cannibals yeah i don't you know you and i grew up at a time again i i think you might be a year or two older than me i don't know but we grew up in the 60s and you know for us it was all about nasa and college someday and cool music on the radio <laughs> and occasionally bad things happened in the south but we were sure that bobby kennedy was going to fix that oh. and uh you know and then all of a sudden you blink and it's amazing what some people think and it's yeah and there were right so right yeah you're right it does feel like people took truth serum or and or crazy pills at the same time because <laughs> You know, I've traveled through the South years ago on tours. And so I saw certain things like, you know, Confederate flags on shot glasses that made me uncomfortable. And I just, you know, I figured, oh, the South is just, you know, it's still like this. There's a highway, it's either Mississippi or Alabama, so Martin Luther King Highway. But the sign when you enter it says Martin Luther King Jr. Highway enacted by statute and the quotes the statute and i immediately felt like oh they're saying the black people made us rename this highway <laughs> and it's very much a resistance thing right but what's been more terrifying to me is that not far from where i live are lots of blue lives matter uh signs or all lives matter and um in, I'll just say it, Staten Island, which is one of the five boroughs in New York, which I'm happy to disown. And if you have a problem with that, write me at isthatreallylegal.com. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, a lot of cops and firemen live there. And there's a very different mentality about what's going on and the not willingness to see. My point is, it's not the South. There's plenty of cool people in the South. There's plenty of crappy people in the South. But, you know, Michigan has militias, freaking Michigan 
the home of Motown. Okay. Now I know Michigan's not just Detroit. I've been to Michigan. There's a whole lot of other places there. It's like Canada, but with an American attitude in some places. <laughs> I get that. But my point is just like, yes, you're right. It's a it's a little like turning on the light in the middle of the night in a crappy apartment and watching cockroaches scatter around that you didn't know you had in the walls. And yes, I'm referring to them as cockroaches because this ancient, racist, anti-Semitic, misogynistic crap, I'm done with it. I'm exhausted by you people. Enough already. It doesn't work. It never works. If it was a great thing, we'd all live according to your shitty rules. But it's not a great thing. It's just it's, it's, terrible. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, you know, none of this is sustainable. And anything that has to do with hate or, um, you know, one group uh, you dominating, know, having dominating at the expense of everyone else is just not sustainable. It's never going to work. It's a giant cul-de-sac. It's going to lead to hell. And that's why we really are in a fight for not only the future of our country, but the future of humanity, whether or not we're going to survive this and get out of it. Cause if it, if the, the people who believe these things, you know, get to call the shots, we are all, doomed and they don't care they wanted these people wanted to see firing squads they wanted to see public executions in our country they wanted to see martial law on january 6th on our 20th on inauguration day whatever it was they they wanted that and you, how how they parsed that how they thought that was going to help anything or help them is is just a you know it's a testament to the to, to the lack of critical thinking that went into any of this and the delusions and so yeah you're absolutely right the it doesn't work it's never worked and those of us who are far seeing who can really see that like and who try to live by love and who feel like this matters more than anything um the the, the irony is that um if we actually organized our world around love and around uh making sure taking care of everyone it would be so much easier. It would be so much simpler and cheaper. Everything you know, would be easier. I, I'm not saying that Germany and Switzerland are organized by love, because I don't think they are. But I do have friends, I'm picking out those particular countries because I've been there a bunch. I have friends who are artists. I also have friends who are very rich bakers, but like they own a series of bakeries and everything in between. I'm just using them. They pay taxes. And they live a very different life than we do here in the United States. Now, I know these are smaller countries in terms of landmass. They have very different histories. Oh, France too, I'll throw France in. But just an example of socialized medicine, just that one tiny change in our societies makes tremendous difference. No one there is worried about going to the doctor and ending up bankrupting their future, you know? Uh, I've talked about the fact that my wife had a very serious illness. Um, she's a member of a fantastic union. And even then we've paid money for certain things that are shocking. Uh, but we would have been bankrupted a million times over if we paid out of pocket. We couldn't have paid out of pocket. What, I mean, it's millions of dollars of health care, you know, for her. For me, I do nothing, you know. Uh, I, I don't want to go into it. I have very little... I go get checked out once in a while. I'm doing great. Thank God. Knock wood. So they make money off of me. I don't care. I'm happy to pay higher taxes. I'm well to do. It's not 
the percentage more I would pay would not really impact us. You know, my Toyota Camry is still doing great. Uh, we live, whatever, I'm going off on tangents. My point is, yes, you're right. I think there's some kind of weird American dream fantasy that was given out uh, that we all could be millionaires one day, as if, by the way, that would make us happy. First of all, it's not going to happen. Second of all, I know millionaires. They're not, most of them are incredibly unhappy. It's, a, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like your love idea. Um, so let's go back to you because I did pretend that this show was about you. Um, <laughs> what, what made you move to Maine? I remember it happening <laughs> after you and James split. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was like, I think there's more lesbians up there. I'm going to give that a shot. Like what? Yeah, what let's go where the lesbians are. Um, no, actually, so the, the sequence of events was that James and I were still together. He lost his job and in, in the Boston area and got a job offer in Maine. And that's why we moved. I moved with him. Then we broke up. Um, so that that's, I just followed my husband, not follow my husband to Maine. <laughs> and then I ditched him uh, and became a lesbian. <laughs> um, well, I so think yeah, that's a that, classic that's, American story. I think so too. I mean, I went from vacation to staycation. I used to vacation in Maine Hmm. for years. I worked. um, So my other whole thing that I do is, is um, like different, uh, different versions of helping people, healthcare, uh, different things. And so I worked um, on a women's empowerment workshop that happened on an Island in Maine all during the time I lived in Massachusetts for many, you know, for good, good number of years, I would go up there a couple times every summer, my friend, Barbara Owen, who since passed, um, she was a therapist in um, the Cambridge area. She had a house on this Island and, and I would, I would go and help facilitate these women's weekends with her. That was your degree from Tufts or wherever you ultimately ended up graduating from? Was it in any kind of psychological or medical field? Yeah, I have. So I have a master's in counseling psych and I oh. have the bat, the bachelor's in occupational therapy. And uh, as an OT, I worked mostly in psychiatric settings. Got it. I'm going to apologize to everybody. Um, I'm living very close to the ground these days. My wife and I had to move because our apartment's being rehabbed. And um, so you're going to hear a snow blower go by and uh just gonna add a little uh ambiance a little atmosphere to this conversation if it's a problem i'm sorry and i apologize to you phyllis um so you i I, you know i didn't know that you had those degrees when i knew you back in the boston area so so it was an easy transition for you you said work transition uh it was an easy transition for you to continue that kind of work up in maine like what are you doing now well so now i actually have stopped going into work i i retired on paper because i'm also caring for my mother who's 94 and um when the pandemic hit i they asked me not to come in because i was a per diem 
employee and then after a while i was like i'm not going in there i'm not going into the i was working in a hospital and i just didn't think i could safely do both take care of my mom and do the hospital gig so i retired and so my what i do for um that that part of my whole being is i'm actually in the process of creating a bunch of resources written printed resources and um wellness resources that i um sell as printables in digital downloads so books cards um workbooks worksheets all kinds of things and that that all started okay so the the create Activity journey you got to be like just buckle up your seatbelt and 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 like let it take you so two years ago this is really quickly but this is how oh, it got here it's really fun i two years ago it's march so i during the summer i my partner has this cabin rental business this is what she inherited from her family that we we work there on the lake every all summer and people come from all over the place and take take a beautiful vacation at our lovely spot in the winter so the business is over in the fall we kind of sit around and go what the fuck just happened (laughs) (laughs) and how do we get ready for next year and we do i have this intensive creative time and uh, two years ago, I got into drawing mandalas. I got into the geometry and the like beauty of mandalas. And I ended up setting a little challenge for myself. I drew a mandala a day for 30 days. And I filmed myself drawing the mandala. So I had a little movie of it. And then just to add fun, I did an improv song, music, to that mandala, that drawing, to the video every day for 30 days using my Macintosh computer, my garage band, a little external mic, some camera work. And uh, so I have this series, the 30 mandala series where I just created a mandala, a movie and a song every day for 30 days. People started asking for the mandalas. They wanted to color them. They wanted to print them out and all this stuff. So that's how I got to printables and digital downloads. I set up an Etsy shop. And um, over time, like the enthusiasm over coloring pages wore out. And I wasn't interested in doing any more drawing because what the fuck? I did it already. And... (laughs) And but I got into making I was like, hey, this is a pretty cool way here's a tie-in, is this really legal? So self-publishing. So is there's a cool way of like getting things to people without a lot of mishigas in the way that I retain control and I get to say what they get to do with it. And um, so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up setting up a, an Etsy shop called Possibility Printables. And I have, it's my little publishing venue for all of my um, behavioral self-help wellness tools that I have created over the years and I'm currently creating. So how do people access that? How can people get in touch with you or find it? Is there a website? Is there? Yep, you can go to possibilityprintables.com and uh, there, or you can go to etsy.com slash and just search for possibility printables. And so there they can get your already existing artwork as well as the 
tools yep. that you make available to people? Yeah, I have a yeah, I have a series called on 101 things you can do to um, and there's a feel calmer, tune your brain, get through the moment, find a spirituality that fits and nurture your spirit. Those those are the five that I have right now. Wow. That is so lovely. Yeah, it's fun. I'm proud. I'm proud. I know you because that is such a <laughs> that is such a I hate to use the word productive. Because it's so, I'm exhausted by productivity. But, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I do. But it's such a practical and helpful thing for people to have. You know, I do seminars along with my wife. That's how I met Holly with a couple named Ariel and Shia Kane. And they have, we went from going in person to doing it on Zoom. And it's been a lifeline for us to, to get back to center, to get back to being in the present and not worried about the future or upset about the past, whatever people need to get to there. It's so great that you have also a, a way for, to give people something that's mm -hmm. a possibility for them. I think that's fantastic. But do you, what about your music? Now, I know you said you did 30 songs, which I'm sure are awesome. I assume you don't have a double album out, but maybe you did. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how can people access your music or can people access it? So there, well, the 30 uh, Mandalas project is on YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel. Um, I think you just have to search for my name, Phyllis Capanna. I, I do not remember what <laughs> Phyllis YouTube has two, is called. Phyllis has two L's and Capanna has one yeah. P and two N's one p and two n's uh and so that's there the purple martin's cd is on Bandcamp. you can access it there or hell email me because i got like 30 copies in the closet over here uh if you want if anyone has a cd player i don't have a cd player anymore so i don't you know can't play uh. that but um and in terms of other music I've done, so I've morphed, after I moved to Maine, I fell into the frame drum community, which is, um, you know, um, a small handheld drum that's um, played with the fingers. And it's, uh, I learned about um, through this amazing pioneer named Layden Redman, who wrote a book called When the Drummers Were Women. And, um, she, so I took a thing at Kripalu, it was a workshop with her. I was like, the whole time I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't like, blah, blah, blah. can't do it, can't do it. And I ended up buying one of her little frame drums and taking it home and becoming completely and totally obsessed. And for a while I was in a frame drum ensemble that was um, called Rhythm Rising. And it, see, the frame drum doesn't fit in our in our culture anymore right now because it's a very ritualistic instrument. It's used for processionals and um, rituals, you know, community rituals of which there are darn few. Um, but it's a tremendous brain activity. It's all music, not Western music. It doesn't, it's not square music. It's not four, four time. It doesn't add up like that. It forces you to get into a different um, rhythmic thing. And so it's highly, um, it, it's, it's, it's trippy. For well, I lack of a better word. I remember a, a couple of years ago, I, I was doing an off-Broadway show. I hurt my back 
and uh, I went to see, I went to a Middle Eastern restaurant to mm. watch a friend do belly dancing. She's an amazing yeah, belly yeah. dancer. And one person in the band, everybody was excited about this woman drummer. And I just introduced myself because I have no boundaries and I chatted and was very friendly. <laughs> we became friendly and we're Facebook friends. And then one day out of the blue, you're like, how are you friends with so-and-so? And I was like, oh, I don't know what. And um, I've since learned, and I can't remember her name now off the top of my head, but she is an amazing, uh, this very powerful woman who comes from a very yogic drumming space, but it's also very Turkish. Uh, oh, uh, da Rocky Danziger. Yeah, Rocky Danziger. And um, <laughs> uh, she's amazing. I should have her yep. on too. Just oh, man. Such she a fascinating is... person. Yeah. And such a lovely spirit, even when crazy stuff is happening all around her. I also just want to second your idea of this drumming thing. You know, my first thought as a comedian is like, oh, yeah, it's the lesbian drumming circle show. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. And like how <laughs> stereotypical or whatever. But I somehow recently over the last couple of years became, I fell into George Harrison. Now, I've always been a Beatle maniac, but I was never that much of a George fan. And then I, I either saw the biography, the movie that Martin Scorsese had done and some other things. And I bought the concert for George where all these people who love George performed all his songs a year after he died, um, which is a great concert that Eric Clapton and Jeff Lynne lead. And just as an aside, Eric Clapton plays very little lead guitar on it because it's not the Eric Clapton show. It's a It's mm. about... Harrison, and it's an, it's an amazing thing. But anyway, I learned more about some of his later drumming and musical stuff. And the Indian influence was not just, oh, he used a sitar, but there are certain songs that break into a 5-4 rhythm mm -hmm. that regular rock drummers couldn't figure out. They just had to have him tap it out for them. And they sort of had to feel it more than say it in their head because it was so antithetical to their 30 years of rock and roll to suddenly be given a 5-4 every fourth measure, just as an example. If you're not a musician, what that means is there's basically an extra beat in there. But when you hear songs like Here Comes the Sun, which actually has extra beats in it, you can't play it in 4-4. If you do, you're lost. Um, by just hearing it, it naturally works. When you try to explain it and, as the kids say, unpack it, it gets far more confusing. <laughs> I hate that term, unpack it. I just, just explain it. That's what the word is. Explain. I'm not unpacking anything. <laughs> I'm the old grouchy guy. Oh, man, don't get, <laughs> don't get me started on jargon. Don't get me started on jargon. Yeah, I hear you. I hear but, you. Just explain it. And both our professions have more than enough jargon in them, too. And, oh, and, and acronyms. Lots of acronyms. Yes, yes. I, we also have some Latin, which we like to throw out there. Um, Latin? Can't beat that. I mean, <laughs> Latin's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, race ipsa am I right? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be wrapping it up. Which I just, first of all, this felt like you and I just got to hung out, hang out together, which I love. I would have enjoyed a hot cocoa or a coffee and yes. a piece of cake. We'll have to do that sometime. Yes, please. Um, please come to New York. 
you'd be more than welcome. We have some fun. We really would. You and I'm forgetting your partner's name, Terry. Robin. 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 I knew it was there was a, you know, it's funny. There's an androgyny about that name. Yes, obviously. <laughs> Not a lot of men named Robin, but there are some. Um, but is there, are there things that you wanted us to talk about or you wanted to mention about you or ask about me or anything that we didn't really get to? Um, Don't have to, but if there is, I'd love to know. Well, we really covered a lot. And I'm happy to say that I think most of the topics that were top of my mind have been covered. How are you keeping sane during this time? Well, the lawyer in me wants to say that your question assumes facts, not in evidence. <laughs> That's a legal joke, boys and girls. Um, and if you unpack it, you'll see that. Um, no, the truth is um, I'm, I married the right person for me uh, in so many ways. And we're both committed to staying sane and listening to each other. So that's good. I walk a lot or we walk a lot. We live near the river in Brooklyn. And when it's not you know, snowing or pouring rain, we are out walking, especially early in the morning. I see lower Manhattan, the, the bridges, the Statue of Liberty. And that's how I start my day with a nice brisk, sometimes five mile walk uh, going into Dumbo, which is a nice neighborhood where I get a great coffee and some I get this vegan oatmeal that sounds like something that you would have in like a all lady drum shop oatmeal experience. <laughs> I'm just going to, butlers, if you hear this and you like this, send me more oatmeal. They make a vegan oatmeal, which when my wife said, oh, you should try this and you read me the ingredients. I said, there's no way in hell I'm ever eating that. <laughs> and then I had it and it's like crack. I can't stop eating it. So it's made from oats. They have turmeric miso butter, almond milk, dried blueberries, and roasted pecans. I'm telling you, it is nonstop greatness. It is fantastic. They put a little <laughs> maple syrup in it too. I ask them not mm. to, they will finish it with maple syrup. I tell them not to, it's just too much. Um, but anyway, so that's part of how we stay sane. We do these seminars with our friends. I stay in touch with friends all over the world by Zoom. Uh, sometimes by Facebook, although that's irritating at times. Um, and I really just try to stay in the day that I'm in. Because if I get too far ahead of myself, that's where anxiety shows up. And we all have it. I mean, we all have the potential for it, I should say. But right here, right now, everything's fine. I've got a mm -hmm. roof over my head. I've got food in the fridge. My wife's okay. I'm okay. Right now, everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Um but I'm also not like blissed out on a mountaintop. I mean, I live in a culture and I have awareness that I live in a culture that's incredibly anxious, incredibly forward thinking, incredibly racist, incredibly misogynistic, incredibly money hungry. I just, I see the river raging and I don't step in it as often as I can avoid stepping in it. And like everybody else, you do this too. And occasionally I get swept up in stuff. And then I luckily have friends who like reach out a hand I get back on shore, dry off. And that was a long answer that may not mean anything a, to anybody, but. It's a great answer. I mean, I think we're all doing the best we can. And I think that the people who are doing okay do have a variety of things that they're pulling on right now, pulling from to help them 
I certainly, I mean, I have people at the other end of the phone. I have people who I call who, you know, I go, okay, talk me down. And then I have people who call me and it doesn't matter who's calling who for what it's that human connection and like getting back to what really matters. Like you said, you know, are we safe right now? Yes. Um, and thank God, because there are people who really aren't, you know, who are really struggling right now with the basics and my heart goes out to them. Um, you know, what you said also is I'm looking for places to give, not, I mean, we do give money to like a food bank or at the time political things, but also it's like, uh, how can I be of service? You know, my work, whether it's showbiz law or the criminal stuff is really about being of service. Mm -hmm. And I, you know me, I'm not altruistic. I, I enjoy making money. It's not that I don't, but I also am looking for places to make a difference for other people. And that taking my attention off myself Huge. is a valuable thing it really but, is oh my god i'm practicing what you probably tell people <laughs> <laughs> forget about yourself for a change <laughs> and by the way isn't that part of that whole addiction is really such a selfish disease because totally it's really all about yourself totally yeah. It's all about, you know, and you know what, I think this is one thing that I think goes through everything we talked about, you know, whether we're talking about prejudice or hatred or, you know, fucked up social policy or creativity or personal, you know, how we feel about our partners or whatever is, are we like, are we afraid? Like, is fear running things? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um Short yes. answer is yes. <laughs> yes. And addiction is a huge, it's like, oh my God, like, I don't want to be me. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be feeling this. I don't want reality. I don't want any of the things. I want to control it. And I want it to be this. And I want it to be numb. Thank you. I just want to be numb. And that's really, you know, that's not really living. And it's, and um, so, yeah, I try not to live in fear, really. But I am yeah. human, so I'm gonna. That's yeah. gonna happen. Well, I think you and I are both lucky. We have love in our lives, which is mm -hmm. the and I don't know if it's the antithesis of fear, but it's pretty close. Uh, and love on the personal level, and we have love on a bigger level. I am so glad you made time for me, Phyllis. Kind of, I it's so great reconnecting with you. I I love you. I'm really oh. glad that we got <laughs> together. Did you feel it? Because I really meant it. I actually really did feel it, Eric, and I'm, I'm so tickled that we got a chance to sit down together and um, really happy that you reached out to me and mo and actually that I said yes. <laughs> well, well, thanks I'm so really much. happy we had the time. Thanks so much for being on this that really cool. Thank you, Eric. I'm telling you, she is awesome, and now you know for yourself. And did you think we were going to talk about all those different things? I have to admit, I think I did a lot more talking, but is that really unusual for this show? Hey, it is called Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin, and occasionally, it should be subtitled, and occasionally he lets his guests talk. Anyway, thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe to it. Um, write us at isthatreallylegal.com at the website, leave a message ask questions about Phyllis or any of the other guests or even me um, and also check out Abe's Muffins they're so good and um, you know, they probably won't kill you I I'm just, I would, I would take that chance, they're that good 
Um, we got a lot of interesting guests coming up. Uh, you can look back uh, at, you know, I keep them all up so you can go back and see who else we've talked to. Thanks for joining me. Oh my God, I got my first vaccine. Did I tell you? I'm so excited. This thing is ending. Thank you, President Biden. Please still wear your masks, take care of each other and yourselves, and we will see you soon. <laughs>